following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 5 today. Uh, this morning, uh, we've been working our way th- through the Sermon on the Mount uh, for, uh, this is ser- I think this is Sermon 5, uh, I think, if I'm remembering right. And so, uh, today we're going to look at uh, Jesus' very familiar words in verses 13 through 16 about us being salt and light, uh, but for the sake of context, uh, I'd like to begin reading in verse 10 with the last of the Beatitudes. Uh, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we looked at verses 10 through 12, and I said that those verses feel especially relevant and heavy how our culture has become increasingly hostile towards Christianity. Now, this month has been declared by whoever, Pride Month. And uh, we're going to be reminded a lot, we probably already have been reminded in the last six days, of the collision course that the sexual revolution is on with the biblical sexual ethic. And uh, it's apparent, and it's going to be apparent over the next uh, 24 days, that the revolutionaries are not going to rest until they have squeezed everyone into their mold. And it's really scary to step back and and to think about what the future may hold and and what it may cost us in years ahead to be faithful to God's Word. So it's very comforting in light of that to hear Jesus say in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. God's favor rests on those who are persecuted for righteousness. And it's also encouraging to hear him say in verse 11, that great is your reward in heaven. So to know that God will be faithful to those who are persecuted and He will make it worth every cost. But the question remains, well, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do until we go and see Jesus someday? How do we endure the world's hostility until the day that we see Christ? And really, I think there's two options we have. We can, on the one hand, retreat from the hostility, right? And, and cluster together with other Christians and, and try and, and not stand out as much as possible and, and run from the darkness and the evil of our culture. Or we can attack for the sake of the name of our Savior and go after the culture to make a difference in, in the name of Christ. And so Jesus anticipated that we might read verses 10 through 12 and wonder, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want anything to do with that. So how can I avoid that at all costs 
And so he immediately follows his blessing on the persecuted with two iconic illustrations that call us to attack the evils of our society. With the gospel of Christ and the good news that Jesus saves and and with a transformed life. And and so we are called here to be salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. And so we're going to walk through these verses today. So first of all, uh, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 13 that you are the salt of the earth. And I'd like to point out four truths from these verses. These are verses uh, that if you've been in church, if you've read the scriptures much, you've probably read before. So the first truth that I want to point out from these verses, or from verse 13, is that Christians are different. Christians are different. Now, now this one is very important to, to state at the outset, uh, because so often when, when people preach through this passage, I've grown up in the church, I've probably heard, I don't know how many sermons I've heard, or people talk about this passage. A lot of times, people want to spend all their time speculating on all the various uses of salt in the ancient world. You know, maybe you've heard a 10-point sermon based on 10 ancient uses of salt. And that's oftentimes how it goes. But the problem is, is that all those sermons generally miss the fact that Jesus doesn't actually command us to be salt and light. No, he looks out at his disciples and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So the assumption is, is that we are already different. We do not fit in. The new birth has radically altered the very core of who I am and my relationship to the world. Of course, we've, we've emphasized that this year with our theme for the year, Devoted to God, that, that, that we are talking about the fact that, that we belong to God, that, that through redemption we have been set apart to Christ, we, we have a different heart, a different nature, we have a different mission as it relates to this society. So, so Jesus says here that God saved me and made me salt and light. So I think it's essential as we begin today that we embrace both the privilege of that devotion, that God has called me out of the world to himself, and the fact that I have a very different mission, a very different purpose in this world from the unbelievers around me. Now, now I do, before we go on, want to go ahead and mention that verse 16 says that the way uh, I, I express my saltiness or my light um, is, is through good works that glorify my Father in heaven. So, so how am I different? Well, Jesus says, through my good works that glorify God. So, so, so when good works come up in the New Testament, uh, the majority of the time, uh, they are talking primarily about acts of care based on Christian love. So a good work uh, would be, you know, not that I get baptized or go to confession or something like that. It would instead be that I serve those who are in need and I care for those who are weak. And of course, the reason that we do that is because our Father is love. God is love and those who are His children will be people of love themselves. So Jesus is saying that one of the ways His disciples will function as salt and light is by our outstanding care for each other. And not just for fellow believers, but for all people, as God gives us opportunity. In fact, He's going to say later on in chapter 5, in verses 43-48, through that we don't just love our neighbor, we love our enemy. And we serve those who hate us 
and, and persecute us. So one way our saltiness manifests itself is through genuine love. And, and I think we also should add to good works here uh, that, that, that righteousness is included because righteousness is a, is a very important theme uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, so, and so, so our righteous life is another way that I stand out from the world that I am different. So Christians are different in our commitment to obedience, peacemaking, purity of heart, marital faithfulness is going to come up later, truth-telling, all sorts of other things. And folks, it's essential that we embrace this difference, right? Because you don't become salt and light by just blending in with the culture, by, by being just like everyone else. No, Christ has changed who I am. And the only way that you will be salt and light is to stand out based on the work of Christ in your heart. So, so we are different. And then the second truth I see in verse 13 is that Christians are influencers. Christians are influencers. So again, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. Now again, a lot of people, when, when they get to this, uh, they want to speculate on, on all the various ancient uses of salt. And uh, you know, one commentator I, I looked at this week mentioned 11 various uh, uses of salt. And, and then a lot of times, then, you know, what happens is, well, you know, salt can be used for this, so I should do this. And salt can be used for this, and I should do this. And it's sort of interesting, and I, and I, I don't want to say that there's no value in that sort of thinking, but I think we can easily miss the basic point that Jesus is trying to make. So specifically, the reason salt is so important and the reason it has 11 or who knows how many uses is because salt is impactful. Salt is influential, right? So you put a little salt on your food and it affects the taste. If you, you know, if the, if the lid falls off the salt shaker or, you know, some kid and you're, you're, you know, in college screws it just a little, you know, just leaves a touch on so you dump it all out, it ruins your food. Too much salt is a bad thing. You know, salt, you put salt in a meat, it, it can stop bacteria from growing in it and, and destroying it. A little salt in an open sore, it really stings. So salt packs a punch. That's the point. And, and Jesus' point is that someone who has been born again by the Spirit and is living a godly life is going to be impactful. Now, this week I, I came across an interesting story as told by uh, Woodrow Wilson, who was a president, uh, I don't remember uh, the years, but uh, quite a while back, and uh, he tells this story. He says, I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic or, or teaching, he wasn't preaching, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody was in, the, in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. 
And that's a perfect illustration of what Jesus has in mind in this text. But yes, Moody, Moody was a gifted man, right? He had charisma, he had wit, he had fame. But you know, Wilson noted that, that no one knew that, that this was D.L. Moody. They just thought he was a guy. Just thought he was a Christian. He didn't use his fame, he didn't use his wit, all those things to make an impact. No, he just came in. He had a genuine concern for the barber that was cutting his hair. And, and there was a presence, a, a godliness about his life that, that just impacted all the people around him. And if you are filled with the Spirit, and you are manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, your life is going to have a similar impact. I mean, you don't have to run around tooting your own horn and, you know, and making sure everyone sees how wonderful and spiritual you are. No, genuine godliness is going to stand out. I mean, Christians will be influencers as God's Spirit is at work in our heart. And then a third a truth uh, that I want to mention is that our goal is God's glory. Our goal is God's glory. Now, now I'm going to go ahead and raise this issue, even though it doesn't come up until the last verse of the passage, because we're not always clear about what the goal is in this text. So, so what does it mean, salt and light? What are we trying to accomplish? And, and, and the text you know, can turn into a debate, right? So, so on the one hand, you have some people that are going to look at this passage and see it as, as talking exclusively about gospel proclamation. That being salt and light is, is to be an evangelist and, and to tell people the good news of the gospel. And then you've got people on the other end of the spectrum that are going to say that to be salt in life has nothing to do with, with sharing the gospel and, and just everything to do with social action. You know, so, so feeding the poor and uh, getting involved in, in politics and marching for various causes. So which is it? Is it evangelism or is it social action? Well, we have to begin... If we're going to answer that question, we have to begin with what Jesus says the goal is, right? So he tells us, the goal is that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the goal in this passage is that that I would glorify the Lord by showing the world an accurate picture of who he is. I live in such a way that I point attention to him. Now, now, I want to be clear at this point that that's a very different goal than, than, than the religious show that Jesus is going to condemn in chapter 6. So you might, if you've read through the Sermon on the Mount, you know that in chapter 6, he goes after people who give alms to the poor or who pray or who fast. And, and they do it all as a show of good works that really isn't about glorifying God, it's about glorifying themselves. And, uh, and Jesus is, is very strong in, in his in his condemnation of that sort of life. And I think it's worth saying at this point that a lot of times, the social action in particular, that churches and Christian organizations, and of course the world at large, their social action is largely, it's not about the glory of God, right? We want to look good. We want people to think we're spiritual. We want them to think we're good citizens. And, and, uh, and we want to feel good about ourselves. But that's not what Jesus has in mind here. Now, we saw in the Beatitudes that believers genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are merciful people. We are pure in heart. So therefore, we genuinely love people. And we genuinely are passionate for God's glory. 
So we want people to see the beauty of God through our words and through our actions. And of course, especially, if we want to glorify the Lord, we are passionate that people know the good news of the gospel. So they can know God for themselves and so they can worship Him for themselves. So, so, so we don't just live the gospel, we preach the gospel. So, so I do want to emphasize, all right, that, that the primary, that the, the core of being salt and light has to be gospel proclamation. You know, because I can go out and, and I, can, I can eliminate abortion from the world. I, I can eliminate every evil in the world. But no amount of food drives, political rallies, or any of those other things make any eternal difference apart from the regenerating work of Christ. So, so, so evangelism has to be the center and the end goal of all of my influence in the world. All right, but at the same time, if I am zealous for God's glory and I have been transformed by Christ, it's going to affect everything. Now, I can't be an evangelist that otherwise is an ungodly nuisance. So, so if I have been transformed by Christ, I'm going to be merciful, as verse 7 says, towards those who are suffering, whether it's by their own, because of their own sins, or the sins of others. If I'm merciful, I'm going to be generous towards those who are poor. Generous to the addict who is struggling to, to work through uh, the scars of his past. I'm going to be merciful to the abused. And I'm going to do everything I can to help them. Because again, the love of the Father is in my heart. And if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as verse 6 says, I'm going to resist the rebellious spirit of this age. I am going to vote for politicians and, 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 and push for politicians who oppose evil and, and, and love righteousness. I'm, I'm gonna, my life and my words are going to challenge unbelievers to, to repent of their sin and, and recognize its evil. If I love Christ, if I have hunger for righteousness, I'm going to be an employer or an employee, a student, a community member who sets a pattern of righteousness and truth and calls other people to follow that pattern. And all of my words, all of my actions will be impactful. And it's never about me, right? It's never about my glory, about people being impressed with me. No, I live an impactful life because I want the glory of Christ to be known. I want people to worship and love Him and know what He offers. And folks, that heart is so important. Because if you focus on the glory of God, you love God and you genuinely love people, you know, it's going to shield you from a lot of the kooky and extreme applications that some people are going to try and make out of this text. I mean, it is about God. So, so love God. Be zealous for His glory. Learn from His Word. Watch the Spirit transform your life. And you will be impactful. So, so, so our goal is God's glory. And then the fourth truth I want to mention in verse 13 is that if we are tasteless, we are useless. So notice the warning with which Jesus closes verse 13. He says, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, now the background uh, to this uh, statement, this warning, is that ancient peoples, of course, didn't have the advanced 
salt manufacturing processes that we have today, right? So, so you can go to Stater Brothers and you can buy a, a, a little container of salt, and, and it's pure sodium chloride, and, and it'll always be that, and, and it's good, and, and, and you can use it 100 years from now, and it's going to be the exact same thing. Uh, no, in, in the ancient world, of course, they, had, they, they didn't have that, and so they had to go find salt from natural sources. So, so they would go out to various areas where, that were salty, and, and, and of course, the various uh, sources of salt that they had weren't always equally concentrated. You might have a higher concentration of salt in one place than in the other. And, and as well, that salt could be diluted by uh, various impurities. And so to the ancient person, it made a lot of sense to say that salt at least as they understood it, could become unsalty. And what good is unsalty salt? I mean, would you dump salt into your food if it had no taste? You know what I mean? It's sort of like drinking diet decaffeinated Coke. Like, why would you, why would you drink that? It tastes horrible. You know, or, or have you ever been in line at Starbucks and someone says, you know, I want a, I want a sugar-free decaffeinated a latte with skim milk. Like, why would you eat such a thing? You know, it's, it's not doing any good for you. It's not going to give you any energy. It tastes horrible, and it's plugging up your kidneys. So, so that's, that's the point. And, and, and Jesus says, unsalty salt is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. Now, I want to be clear that Jesus is not making a blanket statement here about someone's value or, or necessarily even about their salvation. No, he's, he's specifically addressing here impact in the world, all right? Impact for God's glory. And, and in this regard, Jesus asks, what value is a disciple who blends in with a rebellious world and doesn't stand out? And, and I want to emphasize here, that salt does not make an impact by being bland or, or just by, by blending in with all that's around it. And I think that's worth emphasizing because so many Christians today are consumed with fitting into the world. Right? So, so we think we can impact the world by being just like the world. But that's not how it works. I mean, salt is impactful because of its contrast. So what impact, Jesus asks, will a disciple have who has no contrast from the world around it? He says that disciple is worthless. It is good for nothing from the standpoint of spiritual impact. That's a heavy warning. So ask yourself today, what impact am I making for God's glory? I mean, think about the people in your life. Do, do you stand out in your family, at, at your workplace, at your school, wherever else you interact with people? Do you stand out as someone who is different? Do you give off an aroma of Christ in an otherwise foul and disgusting world? But don't be a bland, tasteless Christian. Be salty. Be someone who impacts others for God's glory. So we are the salt of the earth, and then the second illustration Jesus uses is He says that we are the light of the world. 
Now, now verses 14 through 16, they, for the most part, reinforce the message of verse 13, though, though they do add a couple of very unique, of, of unique points that, that are worth emphasizing. So I want to point out three truths from verses 14 through 16. And the first is simply that Christians must stand out. Christians must stand out. So, so verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. And then Jesus makes a comparison. He says, or uses an illustration, he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And the background to that is that most ancient cities were built up high. They, they didn't put them down in valleys. Uh, they put cities up high. And, and so at night, when they were lit up, uh, they would provide light to, to the countryside and people could see them. And, and today, uh, we don't necessarily do that. We don't necessarily put cities high. We oftentimes actually put them low. Um, but with our powerful lighting systems, uh, you can often see the glow of a large city from a long ways away. Have you ever been outside on a dark night, maybe way out in the country, and, and you just see this glow on the horizon, and you're like, what in the world is that? You know, is that aliens or something? And it's Los Angeles, or it's Las Vegas, or, or uh, where I grew up, it was Chicago, and you, you can see this glow on the horizon uh, that is made by this city, and so it is impacting you uh, sometimes a hundred miles or more away. And in a similar vein, Jesus says that his disciples will shine like a city that is set on a hill. They will be a bright light against an otherwise dark horizon. And that contrast between light and dark is very important here because you know, it's what makes the city lights impactful. You know, bright lights aren't a big deal on a sunny day, right? I mean, no one is blinded by your headlights at 2 or 2 in the afternoon. They just sort of blend in. But, but their contrast at night from the darkness is what makes them impactful. And again, that's very important for us as we think about our place in this world. Because as I said earlier, so many, so many Christians believe that we need to be like the world to reach the world, right? So, so if we're going to get unbelievers to come to church and get saved, then we need to make church feel as much like the places there they go and the way they talk as possible. So, so let's use foul language. Let's dress like unbelievers. Let's behave like unbelievers. And that way they will be attracted to us and come to church. But Jesus strikes a very different chord. He says that what makes us impactful is not that we fit in. It's that we stand out. Now, of course, we need to make sure that we stand out for the right reasons, right? So, so Jesus is not saying be weird to be weird. So, you know, we should all wear socks and jean jumpers and, and, and do weird things at church just to be weird. That's not what he's saying. No, no the contrast comes from the marks that we see throughout the Sermon on the Mount. They come from genuine godliness that, that, that Jesus articulates in the sermon. So, so the contrast comes from our genuine, merciful love. In a life point, they ought to experience a love that they don't see on a normal basis. They see in us true righteousness. That we're not just putting on a show. We hunger for righteousness. They see in us sincere godliness and a passion for the salvation of the lost. 
And folks, it's those things that make us a bright city on a hill. So so again, I want to challenge you to embrace the calling of Christ on your life. Don't sheepishly attempt to fit in with a godless generation. We've got a lot of young people in the room. and you know, I, I went to public high school. And, and I remember the, the pressure that I felt in that high school just to blend in and, and to be like everyone else. Don't give in to that pressure. And make sure that you stand out as a light of the world. Like you are bright in the midst of darkness. And there's no hiding it. So, so Christians are different. And a second truth about being light is that hiding the light is counterintuitive. Hiding the light is counterintuitive. So so look at verse 15. Jesus says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, now Jesus is probably thinking here of of small oil lamps. Uh, I think the King James has candle uh, but, but Jesus here is probably thinking of oil lamps uh, that were commonly used in the ancient world uh, you know, to, to light your home. Or, or, or maybe if you're out walking in the dark, you'd, you'd carry one of these small lamps to, to help you know where to walk. And, and I think it's worth just mentioning at this point that, that we, don't, we don't probably value light the same way that ancient peoples would. We have pretty easy access to light. We can flip a switch and it's relatively cheap to turn on. And, and frankly, we... Sometimes we don't, we don't really comprehend darkness because, I mean, there's city lights, there's headlights everywhere. Like, we, we really can't hardly get away from light. But, but in the ancient world, light was very precious. And so, therefore, it would have been absurd to light a lamp and then stick it under a basket. So, so to do so would be to divide the very purpose of a light. You know, it's like, taking a bath before you go roll in the mud. It doesn't make any sense. You don't light a lamp and stick it under a, ba- under a basket. You put it on a lampstand, Jesus says, and it gives light to all who are in the house. That's what a lamp is for, is to light the darkness. So, so let's think about the question with which I began today. How should we respond to the evils and the hostility of our world? I mean, how do we respond to, to the warning of verses 11 and 12? Do, 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 do we retreat? Do, you know, do we get together in our little holy huddle of Christians and try and run from all that is evil and godless in our culture? You know, should we hide from the most hostile regions of the world and you know, just find what is safe and what is comfortable and what is easy? And how should we as a church think of the Muslim and communist countries of our world? Where being a disciple of Christ, going as a missionary, is potentially extremely costly. I mean, how should we even think about the most liberal sections of our country? Or about other Western nations that have become incredibly hostile towards Christianity? Well, what does Jesus say? He says that hiding from those places defies our purpose as a Christian. You don't light a lamp in the daytime. You light a lamp at night. And so when you got saved, God made you a light. You don't put a light in, the dark, in a basket. 
No, the purpose of a light is to shine in the dark. And so Jesus here tells us that the overall movement of the church should not be one of retreat from the world. That that, that our movement should not be to cluster together away from what is godless and evil in the world. Our movement should be to attack. To put the brightest light in the darkest spot. We're going to see in our small group passage this week in John 17, verse 18. Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And and, and read that and think about the fact that Jesus loved his disciples. And he knew, uh, based on what we understand from ancient church history, that 10 of the 11 would be martyred for their faith. And yet he sent them anyway. He sent them into the world. And so God has called us. God has not called us to be salt and light that is stashed away in a pantry somewhere or that shines really bright at noontime. No, God has called us to be light in the darkness. And, and, you know, it's, and, and, it, and it's right, in a sense, for us to grieve about the, the evils of our culture and, and to bemoan how, how wicked it has, been, has become. We recognize that we have a great opportunity We have an opportunity as Christians in this day to shine as a very bright light in a very dark world. And and, and we should not be thinking, how can I get away from the darkness? We should be thinking, how can I run towards it? And, And show people the glory of Christ and the hope of the gospel. So so we are salt and light, and they are to be displayed. We do not hide those things. We run towards the dark. And that brings us to the final truth in verses 14 through 16, which is that Jesus challenges us simply to let your light shine. So Jesus concludes the passage in verse 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, now again, the point here is not that we go out and make a showy scene, you know, that, that, that we uh, do a food bank and we put huge banners out front so everyone knows how loving and kind and compassionate we are as a church. Now, salt and light are impactful by just being who they are, right? By just being salt and being light. So the point is, is that we need to go out and engage a lost and dying world. So build relationships with your neighbors. Invite them into your home so they can see who you are and so that you can see who they are. Get out in our community. Rub shoulders with with people. Take an interest in them. Find out if they know the Lord. You have co-workers and some of them are a little irritating and frustrating and some of them are godless people. Don't ignore them or run from them. Run towards them with with the hope of the gospel and and love them and engage with them. And Jesus challenges us to aggressively pursue the lost. Let your light shine. And then make sure, and and as you pursue them, shine. And don't let, and I I need to add this, don't let them be the ones that influence you, right? You do need to be careful about that. And, And if they're influencing you more than you are influencing them, You might need to step back 
And think about if, if you are at a place spiritually where, you know, it's like, you know, if you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't do evangelism in a bar. So, so be wise. Uh, be careful. But, but go after people. And show them the mercy and the righteousness of Christ. Share the gospel. And tell people that Jesus saves. And live as a Christian in front of them. So, so let's attack a lost and dying world with the hope that Jesus is the Savior. And then finally, as, as we close out today, I just want to challenge anyone who is here that has never been born again. And understand, I think it's important to just anchor everything in this passage in the fact that Jesus is not just giving a broad call to make the world a better place. You know, if we just love everybody, if we all got along, if we lived in a peaceful world, if we could eliminate poverty and all those things and make the world a better place, then then we've done something great. Now, this passage is deeply rooted in the transforming work of the gospel. And you cannot be salt and light. You cannot make the impact that Jesus is calling you to make unless you are born again unless Jesus lives in your heart. You cannot glorify your Father in heaven if He is not actually your Father. So if you have never received Christ as your Savior, understand today that, that, that God can change your heart. He can change who you are. And, and your relationship to Him is rooted fundamentally. The only way to have a relationship with Him is, is through Christ. So I hope that you'll let us talk with you today about how you can, about your need of salvation and about how Christ is the answer. So, so be born again today because, because all this is nothing apart from the regenerating work of Christ. But through Christ, God can use us to do marvelous things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage and for the challenge that it provides And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us who knows Jesus as Savior would just evaluate the impact that we are making. What is making us impactful and what is a drag on our impact. And Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would would move in each of our hearts that He would show us where we need to grow. I pray that He would put within us a passion to glorify the Father and a love for people and a desire to see them know the hope of the Gospel. And Father, I pray that You would make us impactful people. Lord, I pray that even this week we would go from here and You would use us to impact the people around us for the sake of Your name. And God, I pray that we would that you'd use us uh, to, uh, to shine a light on sin. I pray that you'd use us to call people to repentance and salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would glorify your name by the life that we live. And so give us grace to do these things. Give us strength to follow you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.